military says it targeted a senior leader of a designated terrorist organization but did not name him. The drone strike was carried out near the Afghanistan-Pakistan border. Mullah Fazlullah was behind a 2014 school massacre in Pakistan that killed more than 130 children. He was also involved in the attack on schoolgirl Malala Yousafzai in 2012. This would be a major blow to the Taliban. The U.S. has long accused Pakistan of providing safe haven to their leaders. Stateside, an inmate being transferred to court in Kansas City, Kansas, overpowered two sheriff's deputies and may have grabbed an officer's weapon. Seven-year veteran deputy Patrick Rohrer was killed. Another deputy uh, critically wounded. The inmate was also wounded. It's the CBS World News Roundup. The following is a paid program and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff or management of visionary-related entertainment. Aloha Maui Nui, hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhardt in the studio. Here he is, yep. the real deal, not <laughs> a virtual presence device. It's actually Jay Verricard right here at the Solar Coaster. Welcome, Jay. How you doing? Thank yeah, you. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, we are, uh, what is our episode number here? What are we we're, doing? We're 58. This is a, um, introducing SEPA, and we've got some great news for local Utility folks. Yeah, SEPA, the Smart Electric Power Alliance out of Washington, D.C. Yep. Uh, had an amazing uh, session with them today. And, uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, basically uh, uh, Hawaiian Electric and Maui Electric have been in their, their sites, and they have gotten some great awards. Yeah, and it's interesting just to note this. I mean, um, generally speaking, people have a little, like, the, the, the utility is the big bad thing you know you send the money you never get anything it's always a pain in the butt um some people's utilities i guess are far worse <laughs> no we're, yeah. we, should, we should be we should be pretty proud number we, we're, one, we are nationally recognized right and this and, and actually <laughs> uh, hei home electric uh, one number one investor owned utility uh in, well, that that was part of this project, yeah, part of this, yeah. uh, and, you know, and we're going to find out what that means yeah, going know, forward. Right, right. So, so and anyway. by the way, we didn't. I don't think we said this. We are the solar coaster. There you go. Oh yes, <laughs> so that's right. If you were tuning in for the solar coaster, you have the right spot here. Uh, yeah, we're really excited to get going. So we jump right into our housekeeping and just kind of move through yep. it, Jay. I know Let's we're under the gun here. Yep. So we are the solar coaster renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. You can find us at Fridays at 1:05 p.m. on Kaoi 11:10 a.m. Also some FM stations: 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96. 5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. It is a call-in show, 242-7800. 242-7800 is the call-in line. We do have a pre-recorded session coming up uh, because of scheduling with D.C. Whenever you're yep. trying to do D.C. and the East, East Coast, Coast stuff, you, know, you got to do it in the mornings. Um, but, yeah, give us a call anytime, and we'll take it from there. We also have a website. What's going on there, Jay? Sure, www.solar-coaster.com. That's a hyphen dash. I actually had someone try to write out write out D-A-S-H. It's like, no, it's <laughs> solar-coaster. <laughs> Dot com. Uh, but you can click on there if you're out of the uh, radio area. You can click on the Listen Live link. We're still up there on, on the internet. I just you can also it. go back. Uh, yeah, I did too. <laughs> you can also go back and uh, listen to all our old shows. Like we said, we're, we're on episode 58. We've talked about an awful lot of stuff over the, the, the more than a year now. Uh, it's all always out there, and you can get it anytime. Scroll down the bottom of the page. There's a mailing list and or question sign-up 
thing is that we've actually mm-hmm. had guests on the show come through that channel now, which is which is kind of cool. But if you have a question you can't get on air, you're too embarrassed to, to actually get in, uh, shoot us a note from the uh, from the website way down the bottom, and just uh, comes right to our mailbox, and we'll get you on air no sweet, matter what. Sweet, sweet. All right, we got some great sponsors here, folks. Uh, Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonam Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. These are the companies that have kept the solar coaster on air for a solid 58 episodes. Hard to believe. Thank you, sponsors. <laughs> Thanks, we do guys. Love, we do love you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We also have some podcasts. Uh, did we talk about that yet? Oh, not yet, uh, but we are on podcast. If podcast is your con- uh, your preferred consumption method, uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, so you can download us and take us with you anywhere. Absolutely. And before we get going to news and events, I just want to give a special shout-out to a very important person in my life, Mrs. Susie Porter. It is her birthday today. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Have a wonderful day, Susie. Your inspiration. You did, you, did, you did do that. I Happy did birthday, do Susie. it. We all love Happy you very birthday. much, Susie. Happy birthday. Okay, so should we jump into news and events? Right away. Right away. Um, World Bank. Now, we've talked about World Bank before um, in, in their... Um, what is it? Their quest for renewable energy. They're they're very much a proponent of um, transitioning the world's energy supply to a renewable sources. And one of the things that happened last year is they basically said, you know what, we're pulling the plug on any and all funding of uh, research for mm-hmm. new uh, new oil and and coal fields. Right? They, went, they, they yeah. simply won't fund it anymore. And now the converse of that is though they have a lot of money to spend. What are they doing with it? World Bank announces 125 million dollar in financing for a Moroccan combination solar and CSP project. Right. Uh, what first of all, what PV we kind of know photovoltaic. So it's going to be yeah. solar panels. Uh, CSP. Concentrated solar power. Concentrated so solar. These are the so mirrors. The, the mirror right? one that that focuses on a central tower and you see birds puff into smoke and stuff. right, right. And that central <laughs> tower is like like capturing all of that. It's um, super that light super energy. high energy, right? Yeah. Super high energy, um, right? Focused right at the central tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually not someplace you want to be. It gets many many thousands of degrees hot, and, but they generate electricity through that mechanism. We gotta so, go see one of those, Jay. Yeah, I, I think it absolutely, I absolutely should. It's it's a very different beast than your average solar farm, yeah. which you just think panel after panel and row after row um it's not like that it's it's a more of a flower kind of organization where they have a lot of the mirrors i'll focused on that central central projection yeah Yeah. Yeah. um but that's fantastic world bank is out there putting their money where their mouth is and trying to get people to invest in um large scale large scale there you go there you go and we'll see more i'm sure we'll see more and more of that over time especially given what you said earlier about how uh that funding that used to go to uh, to fossil fuel related projects is now moving in the direction of renewables. Yeah, so, absolutely. Excellent. So what's, what else is going on? We got China. I think we touched base on this last week, but we didn't really get good we, clarity. We did. It's, it's really, really difficult to figure out exactly what is going to shake out of this. But China's bombshell solar policy shift could cut an expected capacity by 20 gigawatts. Um, now, we talked about this before. Was it what, what's a, a gigawatt? Um, it's it's many, many, many power plants, right? Right. It's, it's good. You'd have to have well, really, that, really big didn't, power plants. Didn't, um, didn't Andre say that a gigawatt is your typical uh, your nuclear power plant? Something like that. So, so and so that's, that's massive, 20. right? Yeah. <laughs> 20 of those. In terms of uh, expected production, right? Of well, expect, expected rollout, right. So they were actually thinking um, they're, they're going to be um, for a cut by 40% of what China is going to be rolling out. And it all comes down to the fact that they are um, – kind of pulling all the subsidies. They've been heavily, heavily subsidizing all of these uh, domestic for China um, solar projects. And they're basically said, well, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. 
So yeah, I can understand that people are, that who are expecting to make a whole lot of money and take all those subsidies and credits over there, just like yeah. our just like our tax credits. I mean, if our tax credits disappeared, we'd see a major shift, and it's pretty much the just same thing. A little, thing. Po- little uh, paragraph right here that kind of sums it up: the policy changes over there in China are an effort to stem the country's ballooning subsidy costs, which rang in at RMB 100 billion, or about 15.6 billion last year in mm-hmm. U.S. dollars. China hasn't been able to pay out those sums. Yeah, that's that's the surprising so, bit. So the government actually doesn't have about. the money, and they don't necessarily um, want to pay it. They uh, Wood McKenzie, I guess that's a firm that related here. They 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 uh, suggest that it could reach as much as 39 billion by 2020. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, these subsidies or these incentives just kind of got out of hand, and uh, they're scaling them back because they can't afford to pay them. Right. So then to get the big question is, what's the impact on the global PV supply? Because a lot of PV comes out of China, and you're also getting hit on a couple different. Well, the levels. manufacturers are ramped up for production right now, so these these and it's going to cause a, a, a glut, but not. I mean, I'm sure they're aware, and they'll they'll slow down production, but for a little while, I'm sure you're going to see warehouses full, and people might be trying to undercut it just because they want to unload. Right. Don't know. Right. Interesting. Could, could cost. Yeah, these uh, modules are getting hit on a lot of levels, right? At the subsidy side, no. at the manufacturing side, then you're getting in the tariffs to get it, you know, no, and that's, then that's, multiple that tariffs. Is, that is the next now, story, okay? How do, how, do these, how do these tariffs stack up? We actually had a conversation again um, with SIPA's uh, Mike, Mike Kruger, Kruger who will be on just a bit. Um, but he was the first thing he had out of his mouth was this this is the news article this morning is the US to slap an additional 25% tariff on Chinese cells and modules. Mm. Now, the language right now, I don't know if it's it, it's not completely clear whether this is related to stacks with or is the existing tariff that we were talking about last year. I mean, for, for at, at this time well, last year, everybody was running around the sky is falling. Oh my god! Well, that was the section two hundred one, right? And that was that was not China specific. That was the the world. That was Correct. any country that imports China, uh, any country that imports modules to the United States. Yep. And there was those uh, the tariffs that were uh, successfully uh, pushed through. They were initiated by I think Solar World and mm-hmm. a couple of other uh, groups. And uh, you know the the petition was put out, and then it was recommended to the White House, and then the White House said, "Yep," and they rubber stamped it, and then boom, we got it. Right. Yep. So that happened. So this here, though, is specific to China. This is out in PV Magazine. Did you read the title already? U.S. to slap additional 25% tariffs on Chinese cells right. and modules. Right. So for so if you're Jinko Solar and you just put in a, a couple of uh, new um, uh, like assembly plants, like they did, yep. right? Yep. And you were thinking, okay, well, we're going to get around. We're going to get that that for exemption from that in that initial 201 case, right? We're going to get that first 2.5 gigawatts of cells that come in. There's an exemption on that, right? Yep. So we're okay, but then out comes this another tariff that says any cells from modules that come in from China specifically yep. are going to hit another 25 points. Right. So, uh, yeah, not insignificant. Um, yeah, and if, taking, and, if, taking, and if these stack, which is the, seems to be the language, that's not. it's not 25%. It's 25% and 25% on top of that. So it's it's is it 50% or is it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. That's, that's what you mean by stack. <laughs> it's stacking, okay. but at the end of, at the end of the day, it's going to be a very, very significant tariff on any and all Chinese manufactured. I mean, cells. if you're a Chinese now, manufacturer, Jay, though, it's like you're losing your subsidies yep. in, in China, yep. and you, module, you got, you're looking at module prices falling and falling out the bottom got, because nobody's <laughs> buying. You got twenty five percent. 
tariff coming in than this one, and then you get it in, uh, and then you know you're yet another yet the, the existing two. I mean, I don't know how what's how this is going to impact things. Well, the, the best is, the best thing that they've got going right now is um, Hanwha is trying to open the the, the large. It's a 1.6 gigawatt factory in Georgia. It would be the largest solar in factory in the Western Hemisphere once no once complete. Wow. Um, so so that's what that's what they're looking at basically is trying to get um, get these these U.S. domestic factories up and running, but they're still owned by Chinese, which means we just export the money. <laughs> Trump's like, you guys will build panels in the United States. Well, it's, it's no, that's all well and good, but they still get to, oh boy. You know, unless we have some kind of legislation on exporting large sums of cash. Well, let's just, okay, <laughs> let's just see how uh, how that pans out in terms Speaking of Speaking of pricing. large sums of cash, uh, uh, Bitcoin. No, oh, Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. I like Bitcoin. Um, so... Bitcoin has been going through some interesting things. We talk about cryptocurrency every so often mm -hmm. on the show because there's solar coin and other things. Uh, but this was interesting because a um, personality we know, we all know, um, has kind of joined the Solar Alliance um, to create a solar-powered Bitcoin mining facility. Um, <laughs> the gentleman question is none other than Star Trek legend William Shatner. All right, Captain <laughs> Kirk. James, James T. Kirk um, actually had Solar Alliance put solar on his house, mm -hmm. and then they they got to talking as they were working on it, and they were talking about this this new empty warehouse. This old old empty warehouse that they wanted to outfit for Bitcoin mining, and right. he said, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll help. I'll invest in that." And so now, Will Bill Shatner is uh, heavily invested in Bitcoin mining with with uh, Solar Alliance. So yeah, which is very funny. There's a great quote here. It says, "Though Shatner once dismissed Bitcoin as cyber snob currency, he appears to have changed his <laughs> tune. The concepts are really strange," he says. Yet when you begin to grasp it, it makes sense. I mean, basically, we're talking about um, using solar energy to power Bitcoin miners. And so you can create Bitcoin and then not create a negative impact on the environment. Yeah, it's really I mean, it's really the only it, way right? to make Bitcoin make financial sense at this stage of the game. The miners are fairly expensive. The coin is getting more and more difficult to mine. Like that was actually mm -hmm. actually part of the that was in the design of Bitcoin to, to begin with. Is that when you when people were they were trying to really incentivize it. Um, the coins were very easy to mine. Yeah. And then ap every year it gets like twice as difficult to mine an actual yeah. coin. Mm -hmm. um, so the miners also take a lot of power. And the only way to shave any money off your bottom line is to get your power for free or cheaper uh, than, than most everywhere else. And solar, and if, you can, if you can get a warehouse full of miners and cover it with right. solar panels, then that's pretty much the only way to make it really profitable so, still these days. And they're renting out space. That's how they're doing yeah. it. They're saying, come yeah. in here and mine in our facility that's made for cryptocurrency mining. What a strange image. It's so, so hard to imagine what that looks like, you know? I know what it looks like. It's a clean room <laughs> with a whole lot of air conditioning. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is. Very interesting stuff here. Uh, All right. Let's jump over to uh, Tesla. What's going on there? Tesla. Um, so Musk had a nice little call. Um, he actually had to circulate a memo saying that they're going to be cutting some jobs. Um, but hidden deep in that memo was also um, the end of the Home Depot partnership. Mm. So this is a little bit I mean, not unforeseen. I mean, they're having a difficult time putting product out there, putting mm -hmm. product on shelves. Um, they have offered the, at least the, the semi-local folks um, who work at Home Depot in this in solar 
slash Tesla area uh, positions at Tesla retail. So not everybody is immediately losing their jobs, but there are a significant number of jobs that are going to dis- disappear yeah, from this one. So. And yeah, this is 9%. And there's about 37,000 employees globally. And this guy's a heck of an employer. Um, and well, 9% that's essentially, are, yeah, 3,500 jobs. Right, right. Um, so. Yeah. It's interesting about, um, you know, Home Depot tends to do that, right? They get about so Home Depot tends to offer these kind of kiosks to uh, vendors. We've actually been a part of that before at Maui Solar Project. And, uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great way to get out there. But I guess, you know, at the end of the day, Tesla has its own retail. Yeah. So, you know, competing what's the against point? themselves, right? What's the point? And, and they do want to be the one-stop shop. I mean, you come in, yeah. you get your car, you get your roof, you get your battery. <laughs> they just don't need it. If you've got the brick and mortar, what's the point? I mean, right, so right. I guess that's kind of where it's coming from. Yeah. All right. So, let's go over to Hawaii. Got a lot of cool stuff going here. Um Go for it. Yeah. So, we got the let's see here, the um Hawaii Green, Energy Green Market. Yep. yep. Hawaii Energy Market is open for business. Yeah, almost. Almost, well, right. What's your take on this? Well, I mean, basically they're talking <laughs> about Verge. Uh, you know, the, this week's Verge Hawaii event profiled some of these activities. Um, you know, uh, basically we've got uh, some of the most progressive uh, policies that are, are underway here in Hawaii, but they're not quite all implemented and up and running. Sure, but right. I mean that's that's essentially what our what our show is all about this this mm. week is, is focusing on a little bit of what what has been done and the direction we are heading in as as a state and and what direction our utility is heading in mm-hmm. HEI as as the whole, um, but Hiko Miko and Helco, what their their policies and there's it seems to be coming from the top down which is really nice. Um, so there were, yeah, at this Verge conference they did talk about the um, approved now in mm-hmm. February PUC. Uh, plan going forward, which is our aggressive strategy for 100% by 2045, and and like I said, it's been approved by the PUC, so we're we're in good shape. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We're talking about utility scale RFPs. We're talking about you know the electrification uh, electrification of transportation. We're talking about a whole bunch of series of things. And basically, the quote here is: Now it's time for Hawaiian Electric to move from planning mode to project execution. So I guess they just wanted to to, to get underway. It yeah. is kind of the the, the, the gist of this. That's coming. Uh, and we're certainly seeing a lot of uh, you know good feedback. This whole show is about the perception from the mainland and from SEPA and, and organizations of the actions that are being taken by Hawaiian Electric in the in the outreach community outreach and in, in the direction of that. So right. Right. We got one last thing. Just touch on it real fast. Okay. Okay. Governor Ige signs bill setting 100% renewable energy goal in power sector. So this was on June 8th, 2000. Oh wait, no. Yep, June 8th. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well. Uh, signed signed into law four energy bills, one including that um, strengthens Hawaii's commitment to clean energy, uh, generating the, um, what is it, the uh, 100% I think, renewable. I think the one we were looking at actually was, and, and this looks like it was an early article, Jay, like mm-hmm. actually not recent events. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. caught that. But the one that we were, the reason why we pulled, picked it out and we were excited is like I said to you, in, in addition to the 100% RPS, which was a few years ago, the community-based yep. uh, bills, Ige also was a, a designated a state hydrogen implementation coordinator. That was the thing that I kind of jumped the, that out. That was the line this. that I, I applauded and started filling out my resume. Right. Was basically how, <laughs> how the conversation went. That's right? why we put this one in there. We're like, oh, they're they're having a whole hydrogen focus. So that's really exciting. Yeah. So well, I've told you that before. I mean, in in an environment such as this where we have a decent amount of wind, but we blow it off because we also have solar, and then we have. Um, an excess of solar, hydrogen really should be at least on the books. Absolutely. So uh, just before we jump to our commercials, the uh, the, uh, Maui Electric and uh, Hawaiian Electric, uh, there was a a press release about the awards they won from uh, SEPA. We're going to learn all about that in our special section. So uh, check out that press release on their website. And let's jump into our commercials and hear directly from uh, Mike Kruger from SEPA when we come back. 
All right. Aloha and welcome to Maui Solar Project. It is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. MauiSolarProject.org. Tsubuchi Electric. A leading worldwide inverter manufacturer presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tabuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tabuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. The Sonin Battery Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. All right, so uh, those were our great commercials, our sponsoring companies. Uh, thanks so much for keeping us on the air, everybody. Love you, sponsors. Keep us rolling. <laughs> right. We're uh, really fortunate to have an amazing guest speaker uh, here today calling in from D.C., uh, Mr. Mike Kruger. Did I get that right, Mike? That is correct. And Mike is from SEPA, uh, the Smart Electric Power Alliance. Uh, Mike, what is SEPA? Can you give, tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure, sure. And thanks for having me on. It's a real Real honor and uh, pleasure to be on the solar coaster. Uh, the Smart Electric Power Alliance, or SEPA as we're known, is a nonprofit that works to bring together multiple diverse stakeholders to advance a clean and modern electric grid. And right now we're doing a lot of work to try to take the guesswork out of the energy transition that's happening all across the United States, away from fossil fuels towards renewables, especially what's happening there in Hawaii. Sure. So, Mike, are you focused? Is SEPA focused exclusively on the United States, or is it a, is it a global kind of perspective, or where, where are the boundaries? It's a good question. We are a membership organization, so we don't do lobbying and advocacy. We do a lot of research on behalf of our members, and 
the vast majority of our members uh, tend to be uh, United States-based utilities. We have a few international utilities, but almost exclusively our work is focused on the United States. Gotcha. And your focus is to kind of watch and um, understand that transition from current generation to renewable energies. Is that the kind of main focus? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we, we're looking for this clean and modern grid. So it's going to be, you know, the idea that you uh, want to take the carbon carbon out of uh, electricity generation, and then you need to reimagine and re-engineer the electric grid of Thomas Edison's days, which, quite honestly, was over 100 years ago, and we really do a lot of the same things. I heard someone say, you know, you could probably plop Edison out of the ground, and he could stand in front of a utility and more or less run it. Um, <laughs> and that's very different than, say, uh, Alexander Graham Bell, who, if you put him in front of you know, modern cellular cell phone network, he'd be clueless. Um, what we're looking at now is that sort of transition, that sort of big change that, that would make it so that Edison wouldn't recognize what he invented. The right. I've, I've read a lot of information and electrons. Yeah. Oh. No worries. I've read a lot of your um, documentation, and it is a, there's a major focus on, obviously, solar as, as a renewable generated source, but there's a couple other things. And then, uh, specifically, microgrids keep popping up, which is, which is a very different like layout than, than our current generator and output kind of models. Yeah, so microgrids are super popular um, for a couple of reasons. One is um, resilience is uh, it's a key factor now, and people are designing a grid. If you're putting in, uh, spending money on assets that are going to last 20, 30, 40 years, you need to make sure that you can design them in a way that will work in an increasingly disrupted climate with more weather events that are causing uh, all kinds of havoc. And microgrids are a solution to that so that you can have folks getting power back quicker, faster, um, or even potentially have it not go off at all, depending right. on what the uh, weather event is or what the interruption is. So yeah, so microgrids are an important element of this energy transition, for sure. That's pretty exciting stuff. You know, and Mike, we, we you kind of came on our radar because we just got off of this experience with Maui Electric. We were in Molokai kind of evaluating the entire grid and how they're moving uh, towards 100% renewable energies and some of the challenges in there, uh, you know, from all the different technical aspects. So uh, kind of uh, just coming off that, we understand that you provide an award to Hawaiian Electric, and that's kind of how we were able to find you and get into this conversation today. Yeah, I mean, we at CEPA put out the Power Players Award. It's an annual award that we've been doing for 10 years, and it's focused on highlighting those who are really doing the work of, trans, of this transition. So it's folks that are doing collaborative work, innovative work, and more importantly, replicable models that can be done across the United States. As I mentioned, we, we work across the United States, but really every jurisdiction, whether it's a state or a city or in your guys' case, individual islands, is its own sort of unique thing. So mm. what we really want is for folks to focus on model, innovative models that can be replicated that then others can do quickly because we don't have a lot of time to work to get carbon out of the atmosphere before we have long-term expensive damage to our to our world. So we need that replicability. And that's what both Hawaiian Electric companies uh, did. And then and Maui Electric for their work on Molokai was nominated for a visionary award um, because of, of what they're trying to do so quickly on, on island there. Well, we'll definitely dig into that a little bit more uh, momentarily. So you touched on something that was probably pretty relevant here. You said that we don't have a lot of time. Can I assume that the, some of the push behind SEPA is, you know, what's happening with climate change, decarbonization globally? I mean, do you have a unique kind of perspective on where we're at right now and how much time we have to make these changes? I mean, I, I don't think that that 
that we have a unique perspective. Most everybody sort of says you got till 2050. You know, much of the Paris uh, Climate Agreement was based on the science of that. Here at SEPA, we're not doing the original science. Instead, we are looking at how do we apply low carbon or preferably decarboned uh, solutions to the electric power sector, and which up until recently was the number one contributor to the carbon uh, footprint in the United States because of efforts, uh, you know, folks like us, as well as some emerging technologies or the cost of technologies coming down, such as photovoltaics for uh, first rooftop solar and uh, utility scale solar. Now transportation has overtaken electric, the electric power sector. So we're working um, because we can have, we think we can have such a big Im- impact. We, ha- we work a lot with utilities, just because of the amount of electricity they have to generate every year to meet the demand to run, you know, modern civilization. So that's how we, you know, that's how we work closely with Hawaiian electric companies um, there in Hawaii. You know, we, we applaud everybody else who's doing, who taking other avenues for the way in which we are able to to meet the goal of, of saving our world is going to be by decarbonizing the electric power sector. Sure, you can't take it all on, <laughs> but uh, we do certainly appreciate the effort. Do you, do you have publications for your members? I mean, obviously, you do these awards once a year. What else, what else does SEPA engage in to cross-pollinate these ideas and, and technical resources? Yeah, so we do. Uh, we have multiple venues. Uh, one of the key things we do is, is independent and original research. Mm-hmm. Um, it's driven by our members, so they tell us what they're you know interested in, and then of course we got smart researchers who just get an idea and go with it. So we do a lot of independent research around things. Um, a couple years ago, it was around things like community solar, which was cutting edge at the time. It's it's standard practice now, very replicable mm-hmm. across the United States. But we're looking at things like energy storage, electric vehicles. I know that Hawaii has a kind of a policy goal to be 100% renewable, including the transportation sector. Well, for, for folks who have to supply the electrons for those electric vehicles, you know, what are the implications, uh, whether it's technical implications or business model implications or whatnot. Yeah, uh, so a we're lot doing of a lot of research on that. Conversation with uh, Miko on Molokai, actually, this past week. Yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is really hard um, to do it, especially if you know, in, in some cases, you need a, a market structure to give people pricing signals. Um, other cases, you just need, you know, you just need the physical hardware to make sure that you can run the grid the way you want it uh, without causing brownouts or other mass disruptions. Um, we're, we're looking at microgrids. We do a lot now with software. As the grid gets smarter, it needs a lot more software. So things like distributed energy resource management systems that are run oftentimes by, you know, uh, machine learning or, or AI. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think I already mentioned, but uh, storage is another, whether that's going to be distributed storage at people's homes and businesses, or whether it's going to be like a bulk storage solution. Um, We're looking at both those and what the implications for that um, are for the electric power sector, the individual grids, and then the the utilities. So that's one way we do it. We also have two big conferences a year. We have the Grid Evolution Summit coming up here in Washington, D.C. in early July. We also have a utility conference that happens every spring, uh, usually on the West Coast, and then uh, we contribute to the Solar Power International, the big trade show that happens every year. This year's yep. in Anaheim in September. Um, us and another nonprofit that works in the solar sector, SIA, we're good friends with them, so we put that on together. Um, and then, of course, we do webinars. Um, some of our own team here will do individual work for uh, members if they have really kind of tough problems that they need to get figured out. Um, we have some folks here that, that would go on site and do do consulting like work. So there's multiple ways in which we are kind of helping our members out. Yeah, pretty uh, deeply to involved. Get to that clean grid. We know some utilities so well that we can just mention a first name, and everybody in the office knows you know 
who they are and what we're talking about and, nice. <laughs> and what's going on. So um, it is a, it is nice. Yeah, I mean, we have some real leading-edge utilities that are committed to this, such as what's happening out in Hawaii. Excellent. Absolutely. And now, Mike, we neglected to jump into kind of a little bit of your background and how you found yourself in such an exciting role. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got here? Sure, sure. So I've been at SEPA just under two years. Before that, I spent six years in the Obama administration at the Commerce Department. And one of the things that you have access to when you work at the Commerce Department is really smart economists. And I said, hey, when I'm done with uh, with the Obama administration, I want to go someplace where I can feel good about myself, getting out of bed every day, contributing to the world, and a place that's uh, you know really going to be expanding. And hands down, folks said, you know, you got to be looking into uh, renewable energy. The the market mm-hmm. is is ginormous, and the need quite vast. Of course, they were projecting maybe with a different uh, federal policy, but even then, it doesn't doesn't really matter. The the uh, prices of many of the components uh, are coming down so fast that they're now cost competitive or beating uh, other sources of generation. So you know, that was sort of how I started looking and ended up at SEPA, like I said, two years ago. And then in a previous life, I was actually a middle school teacher for nearly 10 years. So um, I like to joke that I, I left the classroom where I dealt with adolescents all the day, uh, joined politics where I just had adults who acted like adolescents all day. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it is, it is, you it's nice to, be, uh, nice to be in this space now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so do you want to jump over into a little bit of the content related yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, first of all, the investor utility of the year was won by HEI, which is the parent company of our, our own, very own Miko. But who were the other entrants? Why did they win? Why did HEI win? What's the criteria for sure. entry? Some of the, I mean, a lot, <laughs> a lot to talk about there. Talk, talk about the awards, yeah. Does, does so, every uh, single utility in the United States get it entered automatically or... <laughs> So good question, good question. So we have seven categories, of which one is Investor-Owned uh, Utility of the Year. This year we received 43 nominations across those seven okay. categories, so much smaller than the, say, 3,000 if we automatically in, in, uh, put everybody in the, in the hat. And the reason is you have to have done something in the previous calendar year that is innovative, that is replicable, and that is collaborative. So okay. it's still it's a little unfortunate I have to say this, but there's that all immediately t- is going to take uh, a large chunk of the utilities um, out of the running for for one reason or another. Our three finalists in the category for investor owned utility of the year uh, were, as we mentioned, Hawaii Electric Companies uh, or HEI, the Public Service Company of New Mexico, and Excel Energy, who are mm-hmm. all doing very fascinating, very interesting things. But Hico won uh, because what we saw was a fabulous effort to ensure that they were bring all stakeholders together to come up with the how to reach the 100% renewable goal that is the policy goal um, out there in Hawaii. And they did it in a what we felt was a very um, open and honest manner. And usually these sort of decisions are made in front of the Public Service Commission. They tend to be, by their nature, very combative. They're also very exclusive because you have to be sort of accredited to be able to speak in front of them. And instead, in this case, HEI held multiple discussions across multiple venues. They had According to their, their um, application, over 300 people show up, energy experts, utility staff, vendors, folks who are going to be involved in, in the rolling it out. And then they had, looks like, nearly 100 residential and commercial customers come together and just sort of lay out, like, what do you need? What do you want? So for, as we mentioned back in the beginning, Edison, sort of um, the, the role of the utility has been, I have electricity, here you take it. Um, and it's been that one-way service for nearly 100 years. We're seeing here in this process is 
the utility going to their customers and saying, well, what do you want and what do you value? And then, of course, there's the questions around, you know, what do you want to prioritize? So, you know, HECO uh, could almost immediately, you know, go to carbon, carbon-free, um, but you would have to deal with things like high prices and blackouts because you wouldn't have mm-hmm. enough power on the island quite yet. But we could, you know, they could do that, right? Or mm-hmm. is it more important to keep rates down and 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 to then, you know, slow slow out the transition? So this asking of customers, which is such a no-brainer for, you know, most of us for most of what we purchase, you go to the supermarket, right? There always, you know, there's always a guy at the aisle who wants to ask you to take a survey because they mm-hmm. want to know, you know, what are you buying? Utilities haven't had to do that. They've had this this monopoly system uh, and this, this utility compact uh, that has allowed them to just sort of say. We're producing electrons. You should take them, um, and that's this is how much we're charging. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And this is how much we're charging. Oh, you don't like it? Please go talk to the commission. And sometimes the commission would would hear you out, and sometimes they wouldn't. And so here, where you know across all the all the islands that Hawaiian Electric Company serves, they were going out and actively seeking their customers' uh, insights and thoughts, and that's great. helping. More importantly, more helping to guide the vision. So it wasn't just yeah couple of engineers inside the building saying, here's how we're going to do it. They're saying, no, no, these are the impacts, and or these are what our customers say, and these are the impacts they're willing to handle and ones that they aren't, right? This is pretty amazing, so. Mike, because um, I think out here, the the, the client base, you know, people who are buying, uh, you know, the homeowners are buying, the utility account holders are buying electricity, you know, they're going to, they may be surprised that Hawaiian Electric has been, you know, awarded this, um, this honor for that specific purpose of outreach. And we also heard that reflected in um, one of our recent shows with the president of Maui Electric, mm. uh, Sharon Suzuki. She said, we're all about outreach right now and communicating with the community and trying to really engage, you know, so it's clearly top priority for them. And I think it's a good thing that the community hears that all the way from D.C., that SEPA is saying, hey, you guys are doing a good job. Uh, that could really um, kind of change some perspective, you know. Um, uh, very exciting stuff. Yeah, and it was a recurring theme with um, our trip to Molokai as well. Um, they had how many, like 13 different roundtables mm-hmm. across across the past few years. I mean, it's, it's just a mind-boggling number of, hey, let's get together and chat about this. Yeah, and that extends all I mean, the way out to even the RFP process. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's actually baked right into the RFP saying that, hey, if you want to uh, put these projects together, you actually have to engage the community on your specific concept or idea. I mean, right. it's really gone a long way. Yeah, it's great, and and like I said, it's a it's a change. So you've got folks like Sharon who are at the leadership saying we've got to change the way we think and really pushing that forward. And where you're starting to see it across multiple things. It is funny. Most of us, I mean, you guys are solar geeks, right? And I'm an energy geek, so I think Thank about you. energy. But if I, if I if I call my mom, uh, I ask her what did she think about her electricity. She thinks about paying the bill and turning right. you know the lights on. So it is a tough job to sometimes to get people to engage to say. If you could reimagine the electric power sector here on the island, what would it look like? Most people are like, I, I don't know. I just, you know, I want to make sure the lights come on, right? And I mean, maybe you've got some folks who have, I mean, there's a lot of solar penetration, so maybe you've got folks on the roof who want to make sure they get compensated for what they're contributing to the grid. But other than that, a lot of people haven't, don't think about it and aren't, aren't, uh, aren't thinking about it. So for the leadership of the, of the uh, utilities out there to say, no, no, we're we're going to do this. It's a lot of work. You know, 13 roundtables is a lot of work to get people to show up and contribute useful information. I mean, you can you can always fill a room anytime, but they really are seeking useful feedback. Yeah, yeah. So it's, again, yeah. it's great, and we want to see, you know, we want to see every utility, the remaining 3,000 plus utilities in the United <clears throat> States, doing this on a regular basis. 
So it's really a model for uh, how other utilities should operate, which is what you said, replicatable, right? Replicable. Um, you know, one thing that occurs to me is that HEI just came out of this maybe, what, two years ago, this major uh, shift, you know, when, when Nextero was uh, attempting to acquire uh, HEI, right? And so it really could have been a very different picture. I mean, you know, they're, they're coming out of that now, and they're saying, okay, what's our, our forward plan, where right. it could have been a total, totally different ballgame, right? And um, so it's great to see that as they're painting that kind of future p- picture, that they're getting awards right away for their efforts. Right. Yeah, and, and not only awards from, from folks like us, let me just point out that because of their work, the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission approved the plan earlier this year. You know, they spent all mm-hmm. of last year putting, or I think part of 16 and all of 17, putting it together. But the commission also recognized that, hey, this is, this is the right way to do it, and this is a good plan to get to the public policy goals. And, and I don't probably need to tell you or your listeners the relationship between the utility and the public uh, public utility commission out there has not always been rosy. So right. again, another you know, it's it's another stamp on this is the right thing to do. Absolutely. All right. So shall we shift over to the visionary award? Yeah, this was really interesting. I mean, I, I, I love the story of, of the winner, but let's first take a look at Miko being a finalist for the visionary of the year award. Is that correct? That's correct. They were a finalist. Okay. Okay. So what is the visionary category as opposed to just great utility? Right. So a visionary for us is an individual or a company, a group of individuals who can cast a a vision for the electric power sector that is expansive, that again meets the kind of clean and modern grid uh, future. Uh, And and to some extent, the ability to to, uh, kind of recognize folks that are thinking long term. They're not thinking crazy, so I sort of joke and say the difference between like visionary and crazy guy in the woods is that the visionary can, can cast this vision and people you know sign on and want to follow along. The crazy guy in the woods just sort of ends up talking to himself because it's not you know not functionable or it's not believable or whatnot. You know what Maui has done and certainly what Walter has done with the Navajo Tribal Authority is cast a huge change in the way the business has been done or the way the electric power sector um, has been organized and then gotten a ton of sign-on, gotten folks you know, across the sector to say, whoa, we didn't think about it that way, but we love what you're doing. Right. And you're talking, you're talking about the actual you know, winner. Is, um, yes. So what, what, is, what is that story for all the listeners here? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it is a story <laughs> both of uh, excitement and of heartache to some extent, I would say. So our winner was the general manager uh, of the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority. His name is Walter Haas. And... The Navajos have a bunch of land in uh, Arizona and New Mexico and parts of uh, Utah and Colorado, uh, many of which I think they still have 14,000 customers who do not have electricity. They're not connected to the grid. They have no electricity in their house. Is it 14,000? Yes, 14,000. I'd have to check the number, but it's pretty close to that. Um, So many of them, their day starts with a drive, and it's a long drive, to the local convenience store to buy ice. That's the first thing they do every day is they have to go buy ice because they can't have a refrigerator. So, you know, you've got that story. And then on the other side, Navajo has a uh, multiple gigawatt coal-fired plant on their uh, land that supplies a ton of energy to Phoenix and, uh, you know, the, the surrounding area there, but mostly the Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. So they have people, you know, that are working there who may go home and not have electricity, which is, you know, crazy. The economics of coal are not very good any longer. It is, it, 
it's way cheaper to grab electrons that fall from the sun than it is to dig a hole, grab out a black rock, transport it someplace, light it on fire, boil some water, spin some turbines to make electrons. Right. So the, own, the owners of the Navajo Generation facility have decided they're going to close it down. Um, it doesn't make them any money anymore, especially in the southwest where there's a ton of solar. Um, it just isn't price competitive. Well, this is going to put out of work a lot of Navajo. And so Walter's right. facing a double whammy. He's got customers he can't serve because they're a long way from anywhere and the cost of getting them power is expensive. Um, and then he's also got this generation um, plant that, that is slated to be closed and, and he's going to lose a bunch of jobs. So he passed, he, he had a much broader vision, which was the Navajo aren't coal miners, right? The, the Navajo now are energy producers. And we have a lot of land. It's a lot of, you know, solar radiance is great here. We're going to begin to move out of coal and into solar like we're seeing across the across the country. So he he said, okay, we're going to build a solar farm, which is generally pretty easy in most places, mm -hmm. unless you're a native, uh, unless you're on native land, in which case you have to navigate your own uh, laws, your state laws, international laws. And what am I missing? There's three levels of law that he had to navigate through to be able to generate power on the Navajo land and then sell it into, you know, the, the Phoenix area. So it wasn't as simple as like, oh, we're going to go get 40 acres and put, put panels on. That also took time, but it was more importantly, it was figuring out how do they create a structure so that they can scale this so that some of those jobs that are going to be lost when the generation facility gets shut down will be able to be turned into run, building and operating solar farms. So right. it's, it's a great story. And one of the things that he wants to do as I mentioned, there's, like, there's 14,000 people who don't have power, is he wants to begin to build solar farms near them. The advantage of distributed mm -hmm. energy is you can distribute it, right? It's not centralized. Right, and so right. go build power, you know, go build solar farms near these folks, and then the cost of running lines to their homes comes down immeasurably. Right? You, you have that option, and, now, and it's not like you're building a coal plant in their backyard, because uh, nobody wants right. that. But, but these are at least right, quiet exactly. and usually pretty clean. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, he's got this this vision to basically move the entire Navajo Nation over to a clean energy future, and it was it was just so compelling. Our judges were like, "Look, this is you know, yeah." This you is can't argue that one. I won't. Uh, okay, I won't. It is hard. To argue. <laughs> I was I was going to argue well, for what? Molokai, but that's, that's like, <laughs> so that's really that's funny. an and unbelievable look, they, story. Yeah. Yeah, and, then, and I feel like it's definitely one of the underreported stories. Uh, yeah. we've, we've seen some reporting out of, out of Puerto Rico for good reason. That's mm -hmm. also a tragedy. Mm -hmm. But to know that there have been 14,000 people, 14,000 Americans without power for pop, you know, as long as I've been alive, and I'm kind of an old man, um, mm -hmm. is crazy, right? And I, yeah. the first I heard of it was when, when this was uh, submitted. So. Wow. Well, that's uh, um, we're gonna have to look more uh, kind of in, in depth at that, and maybe even have a chat with Walter one of these days. We would like to get a sense for how uh, uh, Hawaiian Electric and Maui Electric specifically work in Molokai uh, kind of caught your attention as well. Yeah, sure. So let me just be clear: the Navajo story is so compelling. Our judges, you know, they felt they that they, he was by far the winner. It isn't that they didn't love uh, Maui's work on, on Molokai. They, they thought that was fabulous as well, especially the, given the, I would say, aggressive timetable that they're um, trying to achieve. So our judges loved the, the MECO effort to really move forward the, 
transition to renewable energy. I think the original goal was something like 2045 or for the whole state, maybe it's for 2045, but they were talking about possibly getting everybody on the island served by 2020, which is 18 months from now, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not um, it's not that far away. And they again, doing it, I think you mentioned this, that, that uh, the team there was doing it by engaging the grassroots community, saying straight away, what do you want to do? And then looking at, I think, uh, specifically some of the creative financing possibilities there isn't a huge number of folks on Molokai, and so it's hard to socialize the cost of, of upgrading the grid when you only got a few folks because everybody's got to bear the burden. So they were looking at some interesting ways to which they could um, figure out how to finance that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, what does it also look like to give the residents there the ability to, I think it's a solar plus storage solution, figure out what, you know, how do you get how do you get that on people's homes and how can they take advantage of it, um, especially low and, and uh, middle income folks who may not have batteries, $3,000 here on the mainland and a solar systems similar. So, you know, and then they're heavy to ship, so they cost more around. here. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking, you know, I don't know, six, eight, ten grand. Um, yep. Folks don't have that kind of money laying around. How do you get them connected? And then what are the ways in which you, you know, potentially the grid could be also benefit from uh, solar plus storage, which I know is a, a thing that. Um, now he's looking at doing, or Miko is looking at doing generally, is, you know, how can they take all the distributed solar and all the distributed storage that's being installed by customers and, and make that a grid asset rather than just a, a sort of a single, you know, single point on the, on the grid. Excellent. I want to jump out a little bit and just ask you, what are the other categories really quickly, uh, who won and why in in hundred words or less. <laughs> <laughs> in hundred words, okay. Um, so we have the investor owned utility of the year, which was which was Hawaiian Electric Companies. Uh, our public power utility of the year was Austin Energy for their Austin Shines program. What we loved about that is is a holistic approach. So you come to them um, and you say, I want to do maybe say solar panels or I want to do energy efficiency, and mm-hmm. they do a full audit and then working with you as a customer, they say, actually, we can solve all your energy needs or most of your energy needs if you do X, Y, Z. Um, and then they've also figured mm-hmm. out a way to finance it. So there, it's, a, it's a fascinating program to think holistically about how you solve people's energy needs. Um, Poudre Valley was our electric cooperative of the year. I'm oh, sorry, Poudre Valley uh, was our electric co- cooperative of the year for their um, community solar project that was aimed at low and middle income. As I mentioned, it's uh, when you don't have a lot of money laying around, it's hard to take advantage sometimes of the solar options. So they they were able to build a community solar project that was able to offer bill savings immediately for uh, their customers, and they marketed that at low and middle income uh, customers that they had there. Um, nice. Our mass, our innovative partner of the year. So this is a a non utility that works with utilities. In this case, it was the Massachusetts Municipal Wholesale Electric Company, and what they've done is they serve their wholesaler, so they serve a lot of dis- distribution <coughs> utilities, and they've worked uh, with multiple distribution utilities on multiple solutions around distributed energy resources. So it's going to be a battery storage installation here. It's going to be uh, maybe an upgrade on uh, somebody's uh, lines over there. It's going to be distributed solar over there. It might be a community solar project. So they've done a bunch uh, of, uh, with the distribution utilities that they've served, and we think it's a fabulous model for wholesalers who right now are feeling the pinch because wholesale markets, at least where it's competitive, wholesale markets, the prices are generally dropping because it's cheaper right. uh, with the installation of solar and, and wind. Um, and so they're trying to figure out a new business model. This is an interesting one for us. Hmm. Then uh, change agents of the year. So this is someone who got their hands dirty 
uh, and made a difference in 2017, and that was Nest, the thermostat, the smart thermostat company. It's owned by Google. Mm-hmm. During the solar eclipse that we had across the continental United States earlier this year, they did a massive outreach campaign to folks who own Nest thermostats and got folks involved in, in a demand response call. And so they were able to save nearly 700 megawatts of energy by using the, the functions of the smart thermostat to lower demand when the, when the power or when the sun was you know, behind the moon. Um, and so we, we love that. Yeah, that's something you don't um, necessarily think of. We watch <laughs> this. So, okay, during the day, we're going to have no solar, means. but every once in a while, it kind of disappears. <laughs> Luckily, that's yeah. predictable. The good news about it, very, very predictable out to, I think, several thousand years in the future. So we're yeah, probably pretty yeah. good at that. And then, and then finally, our power player of the year, this is, I think, our premier uh, individual who we look across the entire electric power sector uh, of the United States say this person is making uh, a huge difference, and that was um, Alice Jackson, who is now currently the CEO of uh, XL Energy Colorado. Uh, she is getting her award for work she was doing when she was a uh, vice president, but mm-hmm. internally they also recognized that she did a fabulous job. And what um, she did there was took a bunch of stakeholders, not unlike actually what HECO has done, but she took a bunch of stakeholders who had fought a very bruising net metering battle Mm-hmm. Um, I think three years ago, four years ago, brought them all into a room and said, that didn't work. We can't do that again. It's hard on everybody, and nobody got the result they wanted. Um, right. Instead, why don't we – we've got political push uh, from some of the political leadership. We've got the Public Utility Commission that is also giving us a push in specific policy directions. Why don't we all just figure out what the solution is? And under her efforts and her team's efforts and a whole lot of work across uh, the, the summer of – 16 and going into uh, 2017, they finally were able to bring 22 interveners, 22 of these folks who normally are going to weigh in on a, on a case, together with them to the Public Utility Commission and say, we're all in agreement. This what they kind of called the, uh, it's a basically a holistic solution. We're all in agreement this is the way we should go. And it included everything from net metering to the role of the utility and ownership of, of solar, uh, to microgrid rollouts, to battery rollouts, to electrification of vehicles. You know, there was just a, a, a lot in there, and she mm-hmm. got everybody to agree. And, of course, the Public Utility Commission said, yeah, that's genius. That we love Yeah, just, that. To get it, just to get uh, anybody in a room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, it, the global settlement, that's what they called it. So it, it was so yeah. inclusive of so many issues, this global settlement come together. So it's and since paid off. They've had, they've had a couple more rounds where they've sort of done what I would call addendums or, or maybe edits to it. And again, the same folks and even a larger group weighed in, uh, have weighed in uh, together saying this is the way we all want to go. And it's everybody from consumer advocates who are worried about the cost of electricity to environmental advocates who, you know, the carbon footprint is a bigger issue um, right. to commercial and industrial customers who want to make sure that they've got flexibility so they can run their plants to meet their customers' needs and not be constrained. So it's it, she did a fabulous job, and, and she's our power player of the year. Fantastic. Well, there is a dinner to uh, honor all of these award winners. I guess it's in July. Um, if you would like to know more about SEPA, uh, you can go to sepapower.org. Mike, we really appreciate the time again. I hate to cut you off because we could probably talk all day, but this is the way the show always goes. We've got to cut it off. We do appreciate the time. And once again, uh, HEI, the parent company, our very own Miko, has been honored nationally for being a really 
positive innovator in the energy space. Congratulations. Congratulations to them, for sure. All right. Congratulations to everybody there on the, in the, uh, on the islands for your very aggressive uh, climate goals. And we applaud you from back here at DC. At least some of us do. <laughs> Thanks very much for that, Mike. You have a great day. We look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. So Thank this has been much. the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy-themed talk <laughs> show right here in lovely Maui County. You can found a KOI 1110 AM and a bunch of FM stations I still haven't. Um, You'll <laughs> never memorize it. It's okay. <laughs> we are sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonam Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Hey, folks, uh, it's been a great show. Thanks to SEPA and to Mike Kruger and to Miko and to HEI and everybody who's been a part of this great process. And have a wonderful uh, Father's Day weekend. Aloha Friday. Have a good weekend, yeah.